the route of achieving your dream, firstly, you have to have a dream, right? And you have to find a way, means to actually start pursuing a dream. And then you have to have the perseverance to really, 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 really try hard to do that. Failure is something that you learn from. The University of the Free State presents a series of conversations with outstanding alumni from this great institution. Voices from the Free State. From day one at IoT.next, we said global domination, nothing less. We globally recognized at this moment to be the best platform out there in the Internet of Things space. My name is Bertus Jacobs. I'm the co-founder and CTO of IoT.next. So I was born and educated in Bloemfontein. Um, I stayed there for my first 46 years. Uh, I went to um, primary school at Willem Postma and then uh, secondary school was Central High School, uh, after which I joined uh, UFS to do my uh, studies there. I currently live in Centurion um, with my wife. Uh, we've been married for almost 25 years now. Uh, we've got two uh, kids, uh, both um, redhead daughters, and apparently the percentage of that happening is 0.0289%. The one that's with us, she's um, still in an art school at the moment. The other one is married and she lives near Victoria, luckily not far from us. So my wife um, is... Uh, she's got a master's degree in applied mathematics and my eldest daughter also is in mathematics. She just completed a degree in uh, mathematics, so it's uh, not applied math, but mathematics. And you wouldn't believe me, but we have a whiteboard in our dining room. So whenever there's sort of silence, there's always a complex mathematical thing that springs up. Um, my other daughter, the younger one, she's very, very artful. Um, she does sketches and photography, and she's also very brilliant at music. Uh, before she could even talk, she um, basically composed her own tune. So I'm very proud of them all. I was almost dead like a month ago. My wife saved my life. 
2020 was a difficult year with COVID-19 and I thought I would have a short break um, going on holiday with my family. Um, on the third day, I, I choked on food and I was really close to death. Um, if it wasn't with my wife and her brother um, who helped me at that stage, I would not be here for seeking I want to just thank them from the bottom of my heart and say to my wife, I always trust you. Growing up wasn't really easy for me. Um, we were not a well-off family. Uh, my father went bankrupt just before I was destined to go to school. Um, and at the same time, more or less, my brother was born, my younger brother, and my mother was quite ill at that stage. So on top of that, we had to move out of our house to rent in another area, which was not really so upmarket. Um, but, uh, you know, my parents um, succeeded in getting me to another school nearby where we moved to. And that made me really determined to strive for, you know, a better life. So, how I got to UFS eventually is quite a long story. <laughs> uh, so, when I was about 10 years old, um, I was fiddling with electronics. It was my passion at that stage for a young boy. Um, and I had big dreams to become a professor in electronics. Uh, I didn't know what that entailed really, but that was my aim. In high school, I had a friend who had a computer, and I was really besotted by this computer thing. It was the first one I've seen, and it was just awesome. So I nagged my mother to get me one, and it was difficult. So then I really became a you know, gamer on that machine. It was very limited in space. I did some programming just to see how it works, etc. Um, but then, um, in my second year in high school, uh, the school had a, a computer lab there with Commodore 64, and I decided now I have to upgrade to this. Um, by hook and by crook, I bought a Commodore 64, and then I really started to, you know, tinker a lot um, with programming, etc. Um, and then. A few months later, a friend of mine said, well, there's a new subject that, that they're going to teach. Um, it was like a first, I think, in a free state. It's called computer science. Um, do I want to maybe join him to do that? That's the seventh subject. So there's a lot more work. Um, and, you know, thought about it for about two minutes and I said, you know, okay, let's try it. No harm, maybe. <laughs> uh, and then from that day, I really started, you know, uh, I was educated well to do computer science, all the algorithms and the foundational stuff. And that's helped me to really start developing coherent and complete software, which I could sell as a high school kid. So I always published in my source code in the Commodore magazine as well. 
And one day I got lucky and um, I was selected as programmer of the month. And I remember vividly how I jumped up into the air. You know, I got a 250 rand prize. Um, obviously, in the, in the article, I offered to sell the, the compiled program uh, because they only published source code. I offered to go, use, sell the compiled software on a tape if they, the readers just send me tapes. And the tape streamed in, I sold a lot of software. Um, so my first program was a word processor. And it was really um, apparently something that everybody wanted. Somehow I got involved into a group which um, we were escorted to the varsity, UFS in Bloemfontein. And I got to see the computer lab there and I was just awestruck because it was rows and rows of computers, PCs, but it had lots more specs, higher-end specs than my own PC. So I decided there, then, okay, I have to go to UFS and do my computer science degree. Um, and luckily, I got a bursary after many, 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 many attempts. Yeah, I was really determined. I uh, commuted from my home, which was about, I'd say about 10 kilometers from, from the Varsity main campus. Uh, initially, I uh, traveled by bicycle, so it was quite a slog. Uh, I remember vividly my first day, um, I had a very, very, very expensive physics books on my carrier, my bicycle, and it rained, and this thing got a bit of water damage. I was really upset. And... I said to myself, I must sell more software to get a car, and eventually I did. So that also made things much easier. My main um, aim was to do BSc computer science, but also uh, because of my interest in electronics, I decided to do physics as well. Uh, so uh, my main focus was computer science, for sure. I spent... My entire day, most of the nights in the computer lab. Usually when I um, tell people how I met my wife, um, there's a few eyebrows that's raised. Uh, I was as a junior lecturer for two years um, while I was studying and she was one of my students, but the class was like 800 students. Um, and I really never took notice of her uh, or many other people as well, just a few that I knew. Um, so about four years later, she was a friend of my brother. Um, her name is Marty and you know we clicked at one of my brother's um, birthdays. Um, and I decided, well, phew, I'm so busy with business, I, and I needed someone in my life. So I took the chance, asked her out in three months, and we were married in six months since we really started going out. At CFS, I completed my BSc and then I did my honours in computer science. 
After that, I was busy with my master's degree. Um, it's quite a difficult subject of thesis that I had to create. Um, I was grammar checking way before Microsoft ever had it. Um, and then I guess you can call me a college dropout because I, in the middle of my master's degree, after all the practical stuff was done, I didn't really like to foresee that, you know, this was a lot of spark in me to complete the thesis, the part of it. And at the same time, I was asked by somebody I knew that um, they were going to require my services to do some support uh, via modem for, for their customers. They were in the cash register business. And, you know, I went to this company um, and I looked at their setup and they wanted me to eventually uh, write firmware for a cash register from Japan. So I got the source code, but it was like 800,000 lines of code and I didn't really understand Japanese well. And then I said to my partners, because I was then a partner after three months or so, I said to them, maybe we should reconsider this and do a cash register on a BC. Now it's named point of sale, uh, cash out software. Um, and I did that. I, I remember vividly one Monday night, I thought now's the time to start this. Um, it was at seven o'clock at night, I was watching Night Rider and I just started. And after three months, we were fully um, yeah, busy installing our first store customer and you know after that it went really hectic the software was such a success that we installed thousands and thousands of stores eventually um, so we started the business in 1992 um, and then in 1996 i met two of my current partners business partners uh, it was Nico Stein and Terry Moon, and they were very good at sales, and they really sold. Uh, you know, the company grew very rapidly as well, um, and then, you know, just after the Y2K bubble, um, we still were growing fast, but you know, too fast, and cash was really an issue again in the business. So we sold this business to a listed company on the JSE. And then we, you know, we went our own ways. Uh, in the meantime, I started the real electronics business because that was still one of my things that I had to do. Uh, so we were like the first electronics company in South Africa that developed a smart card reader. Uh, it's a MyFair smart card. Uh, now it's named NFC, and you know, every phone has it, almost every smartphone. Um, and we developed this technology and we created an employee system, a clock in, clock out system. And this device also 
use biometrics so to, to identify people as they clocked in and out. And we sync this data via modems, GPRS modems at that stage to the cloud. And we had a cloud-based, web-based um, back-end system. And I guess that's really what they now call IoT. We didn't know it at that time. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was me and a few other guys from my student days that I knew. Um, and we did really great. Not, I would say it was a spectacular success, but at least it kept me into the software development process and electronics. And I think it was in 2013 when a business opportunity in uh, Midrand, South Africa, it's between Johannesburg and Pretoria, uh, we got a contract to do um, some integration work with various subsystems. Uh, it was actually in, in prisons, and we had to you know, do the perimeter fence and the cameras and the generators and access control, which I obviously had more experience with as well. Um, it was really a hard Hard, hard, hard slog. You know, to do work in prisons is not fun. Um, as a stage, my my daughters were asked if uh, she had a father, and she said, "Yes, my father is in prison." Um, that was a good joke afterwards. But anyway, uh, Terry and Nico, myself, got back together, and we called on all the old programmers that we employed in the past uh, we called ourselves the expendables and we just started creating new software for this whole project uh, after a while the prisons really got a bit tired and we decided to you know just do a clean break and do something else and just before that i developed a electronic device for access control specifically, but it could do almost everything else. Uh, that device is now called a Raptor. And in the new business, which we started in 2015, um, it's IoT.next. It's an Internet of Things company. What IoT does is to really connect sensors and devices and even subsystems um, to the internet um, and make it visual uh, for people to see all sorts of statistics and do analytics on the equipment. And the Raptor became, became the focus really of our marketing exercise because it could integrate into all sorts of sensors and devices which were not uh, connectable to the internet, but through the Raptor we could um, we could achieve that. Yeah, it was a spectacular success. So initially, IIT.next, we started in a, a small business park. I think we were six people. Um, and then we grew rapidly up to about 30 people. Um, there was one article about us saying uh, this, this company from a small nondescript office in South Africa is doing so well. Uh, but when we were about 30 people, we had to move offices and we got ma most amazing offices nearby. 
and it was themed upon Star Wars. Uh, there's a dark side which is sales and there's a light side which is development. Uh, it's always a good joke to tell. Uh, we also then uh, opened a small office in uh, The Hague in Netherlands but eventually we um, got a huge contract in South Africa uh, for a company, small little company called Vodacom um, and they were so impressed with our work that they actually acquired 51% of us about a year bits ago um, and by default Vodafone UK um, owns 51% of Vodacom so we are basically part of the Vodafone group and that has opened up a lot of doors for us internationally so currently we have 47 projects which is spread across africa into europe uk and the americas as well so we do have a presence in dallas texas and we also have a presence in near london at vodafone's headquarters but also the office in um, the Hague Right after we founded IT.next, we moved into offices uh, with six people, as I mentioned previously. Um, and you know, we got a few extra programmers and we started developing this nice IT platform. Uh, for the first year, uh, my partners in sales and marketing they did um, a, a demo a day demonstration a day of our system and we had no clients at the end of that year full calendar year and the next year uh, all the people that well not all the people that went through a demo room they they were distilling that knowledge of what can be done and they came back as customers and the first tenor that we did as a company was for um, a coal mining operation for Exaro. Uh, they're fairly large business in South Africa. Um, and we tended to integrate a few of these systems um, to make them more efficient. And we, yeah, we were bold. We tended against uh, companies like Deloitte and um, General Electric and Boston Analytics, if I remember correctly. And it was all like uh, this project could take two years to implement. We did it in two months. And you know that, that success was the first spark. And then everybody streamed to us. Uh, the guys that tended against us wanted to join us. And some of them did. Um, and then we just started with all sorts of weird projects. Um, we did rat trapping for a company, a large company. Um, we did um, freezer monitoring um, remotely, obviously, to the internet uh, for a very, very, very large group. They supply freezers and all sorts of stuff to supermarkets and other outlets in the world. South Africa to Malaysia, but we got recognized um, at the MTN Awards uh, for the best internet play. 
Uh, at that stage, we got um, free tickets to to Silicon Valley to go and expo our stuff. Unfortunately, that wasn't done immediately. Um, so eventually, we went to London and Barcelona. Um, but then on the second round of the expo, the IT expo in San Francisco, I had the privilege to go there. Uh, so, uh, and, you know, during all those occasions, we got just more interest and more interest. And we were really scrutinized by a lot of large companies like Microsoft. Um, and eventually we became the partner of the year in 2019 and doing quite a fair amount of business with them, through them. Um, and then obviously the Vodacom opportunity came up to monitor their base stations. And I think the biggest success there is to, yeah, if you can imagine the scale and the complexity to maintain those base stations and just to save energy. Uh, so we have done a massive job of not controlling all the environmentals and etc. in within the base station, monitoring it remotely, but to save energy. And that's real tangible money on the on the table that um, was substantially reduced. So for new entrepreneurs, it's obviously important to have a, a dream and a vision and you have to know what you want to achieve. And it's then best, you know, not to always uh, draw onto, I would say, career agencies to get people that you don't know to help you in this endeavor because it's really, a, it's very difficult to start a business. Um, so it's always good to know someone that you can depend on. I would say, you know, always know the people around you, uh, know people's passions. Um, and what they can do, what their abilities are, and how they could complement you, and how you can complement them. And it's usually a great business. As a self-confessed introvert, very deep one, I would think, um, you know, I always believed that developers or slash programmers they're all more or less the same. They like to speak to computers because computers don't speak back. Um, so it is really quite easy for for programmers to assess each other by the way they speak um, about technology to figure out what they're good at. And it was always my go-to talent pool to go back to UFS. There were a lot of deep, talented programmers that we um, employed from UFS, probably more than a hundred over the years. Um, what we found though is that, you know, with our growth over the past five years, we're probably now 400 people. Um, the talent pool in South Africa is IT-wise is really shrinking. Lots of people immigrating and there are other companies that are vying for the same talent pool. So that is why we envisage to do a partnership with the um, UFS to see if we can maybe harness you know, raw talent 
that we can upskill and to later on maybe launch into great careers. And I always, I, I know that a programmer is born, they're not made. Uh, so there's always raw talent out there. You just need to harness it and hone it, give it some experience. Disadvantaged um, individuals, yeah, I think what they're struggling most with initially is having the right computer equipment or any at all. Um, and then second, and it's very, very, very important to have a good internet connection. I remember in my days um, at Varsity, I had the first internet connection when I was a lecturer and that was like awesome because for the first time I could actually access international information and upskill myself as well. But there was an enablement through the university yeah, to, to give us nice technology uh, which we couldn't afford uh, uh, on our own. If you study at varsity or at school or whatever, you, you know, you do small projects which is mostly, you know, not viable in business. But it's important to get into a business at a stage or get experienced people to partner with to start a business. As a student, you have to be really, really resilient um, and be able to go that extra mile. You know, it's not uh, an 8 to 5 thing if you want to exceed or excel in business, uh, it's really um, a hard, long slog. Even if it sounds easy, it's not. Uh, what we found is that some students, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, uh, out of all the uh, degree behind their names, and they want to start as an MD of a company and work their way down. Um, that's not unfortunate how it works. So. Yeah, I spent almost all my time for the first eight years on the road. I visited probably every city and small little place in South Africa and abroad. Uh, I slept on supermarket floors to get the store open the next day. Um, so it's, it was really tough. If you have an ambition, and you have a plan. Uh, think of college dropouts like Mark Zuckerberg and a few other very, very um, successful people. You must have the plan to execute, but you also have to get partners or like-minded people to share that vision. Um, I know in, in our first business, we were really a good mix of people. Um, I was very technical and shy. I couldn't sell anything else um, but my own software, you know, to individuals. Basically, we couldn't sell to to businesses. Um, my other partner had very good experience. I think he had 28 or 30 years experience in the business that we were entering. And the other partners were very good at sales and marketing. So it's a good mix. You have to have that mix. Otherwise, you have to be multi-talented like Elon Musk. Uh, very few people achieve that. 
collaboration in terms of finding other like-minded people uh, definitely in university you can find that people but mostly um, as a developer programmer you know we're all shy and we do have the same goals sometimes but it's difficult to execute um, and it's crucial to get somebody from outside to partner with uh, in my opinion uh, that work well for the Google founders to you know just know themselves found themselves in college uh, that's really not something that's I would say it's, it's the norm so use contacts of your parents your friends your family um, and see where you can get in and you know just keep on trying until you find the sweet spot I know I've gone through probably tens of thousands of CVs in my life and there's sometimes just something that springs to mind um, leaps at you and say this guy is a hard worker and he's got passion and ambition um, his marks are good you know it's sometimes forgotten that you have to excel in the subjects you do as well um, because in the IT business you would strive to get the most intelligent people not you know not people that can't make the grade Commonalities and touch points between people of different culture uh, I mean like life culture um, I think the whole point of connecting to each other is to communicate right without communication you can't do anything properly uh, case in point uh, at IT.next we had a temporary garbage collector and after chatting to him a bit because you could see there was something in his, in his demeanor he had a spring in his step and was friendly uh, very good solid guy and you know, once the discussion started we figured out okay he had a degree in computer science and we couldn't believe it and immediately we, we put him into uh, some sort of project and he's doing excellent at the moment and we need more of that now seeing um, from the student side the the goal of the company and from the company side seeing the raw talent and be aware of what's going on around you not just thinking okay I'm going to put CVs out but there's a guy right in front of me that's got the skills already. I must stress that having had computer science at school, I was really bored in my first year computer science at Kofsis. Um, to the degree that I thought, is this really what I wanted to do? But there was a professor, a very legendary professor, Hans Messerschmidt, which was head of the department um, computer science. And, you know, I think it was the second semester, my first semester in second year, can't remember exactly, um, when he started teaching me, uh, obviously the students around me, 
Um, but he was so logical and upbeat, um, challenging to the nth degree. Um, and he once caught me out. I was uh, given a task to do, and I thought I did it well. Uh, it was a three-hour session in the computer labs, and I started to play chess because uh, I'm the man, right? Um, and then after the three hours, or let's say two hours, the professor started asking questions to the class, and he had this rigorous test uh, for um, calculating prime numbers. That was our goal. And yeah, after a while, I thought, okay, no, my stuff isn't working well. And from that day on, I strive to, you know, impress this professor. It um, was my best professor. I'm not a short-term, you know, go do this um, advice type of person. I like to mentor people over many years. Um, and there's three people in my life that I've mentored for the last 20 years, uh, one of them 22 years, um, they were young um, developers that had raw talent, they didn't have any skills, and now they are really our best, um, I would say from our best top, top, top people. So it's not always about, you know, a one-liner, but... Somebody actually gave me advice at a stage. Um, if you want to go to the moon, aim for the stars. What does real leadership look like? It's a difficult question. Uh, I was voted in school to be the least person to succeed at leadership. Um, but I guess uh, if you set an example and you don't lose people in your wake um, if you go the extra mile with them um, that really forms a bond and uh, creates a special kind of relationship um, and then obviously uh, if you're in a partnership with um, other partners that's not um, how would I say it it's not um the same kind of background, it does create friction to a, to a degree. You don't ideally want to mix sales and developers, because it's like fire and petrol. Um, but what I've learned over the years is that I'm, I've, became, I've become a, a relatively good translator between the very technical people and um, the business-minded people. Uh, I guess that's a sort of leadership. And then obviously from a CEO level, you need to set the goals of the whole company and change strategies and you know, sometimes set goals that seems almost impossible to achieve, but to the right kind of um, impetus and um, encouragement you, you you get there and it's usually after the fact that people look and say oh it was not so hard it was actually great fun so i think it's very important to um, look around you all the time um, and spot opportunities for people maybe not for yourself 
uh, or, in, or in your own business, but have to get right connections to see, okay, this, this person has the ability to exceed in a place elsewhere. And I have two other stories as well that I would like to tell. Um, I mean, one of my friends usually went to a pub for lunch a um, couple of days a month. And there was a waiter, a certain waiter, um, which just sparked. You know, if you wanted something, he was there. Uh, it didn't take long to operate. Um, and eventually we made some friends with him. Um, and he told us that his ambition is to also complete a degree in computer science. And we said, okay, well, send your CV. Uh, it's not a wasn't a good CV, but the guy's um, excellence, in our opinion, created himself an opportunity. So we gave him that opportunity, and today he's, he's also one of our top um, technical supporters in a massive, massive, massive project. Um, the other opportunity I saw was um, when I moved to Centurion, um, I had a temporary domestic worker and she had some real issues in her life, um, money-wise and you know, lots of small new things that prevented her from you know, doing her work well. So I decided, well, I can't afford to you know, give a massive salary. So let's move it to our business. And she was actually one of the six founding members. Um, yeah, so and she's she's done well over the past few years, and I think we made a difference there. The main inhibitors, I would say, to really go global and do everything that you want to do, is to have the right. Uh, implementation partners in various markets. So you get domain experts which specializes in electricity metering and optimizing, etc. And if you want to start a business like that in the USA, it's not going to really fly if you don't have that kind of partner enablement. So what we have done is um, we appointed a doctor as well in education, uh, specifically to create learning materials for internal use of our company, but also for you know partners, resellers of our products. Um, and the goal is also to create material for for students to do after after hours or you know, maybe as as part of a course at the university um, and once they have that knowledge um, it is imperative that they start to actually implement the stuff and play around with toys um, you know cameras or Arduinos, Raspberry Pis and eventually some weird devices that nobody's heard of um, so it's all about education and we just need to align uh, with talent pool and also on the other side to to people who can execute on behalf of the business. The root of achieving your dream 
firstly, you have to have a dream, right? Um, secondly, is you have to find a way or means to actually start pursuing a dream. And then you have to have the perseverance to really, 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 really try hard to do that. And I've, I've myself, I've created a few businesses with belly up a few times. You know, failure is something that you learn from. But you can never say that you know, I failed in something and uh, maybe I just need to be normal and you know, take chances. Uh, but it's it, you must really not be too risk averse in your life to to get something you want. Um, and I know that uh, there was one particular business of mine that went bust. I lost a couple of million of rands um, while I was still in Bluefontein, and that really prompted me out of my um, cushion of you know just go on day after day doing the same thing. I think travel as well, if you can travel somehow, uh, that makes a lot of difference to see people from different perspectives. Um, I've been to 31 countries in my life so far, plan to do a bit more. Um, and, you know, you can sometimes see a movie, watch a movie, and then you see a building and you can say to yourself, wow, I was there, I was there and I spoke to guys at Intel, I spoke to guys near Google, um, I was at Apple campus, the main one that they built in uh, Cupertino. It's a massive building and you, you cannot imagine that looking at just photos or videos from somebody else, you have to experience life and then distill all that culture and knowledge into your next best thing. Yes, definitely we are uh, writing our own script and from from day one at IoT.next uh, we said global domination, nothing less. Um, and I think we're pretty well on our way to do that in the Internet of Things space. Um, we globally recognize this moment to be the best platform out there that can do so many things. Um, so yeah, I, I would really like us to write a book at some stage. I've been meaning to start for a few years, um, but there's never time. Uh, the interesting thing is that our Raptor machine that we designed uh, is trademarked and copyrighted and patented. Uh, and I see that the, the next starship of um, Elon Musk, uh, SpaceX, is named Raptor. So I thought of sending maybe a tweet and say, um, you know, this thing is trademarked. Would you uh, consider taking one of our Raptors to Mars? I think that would be the ultimate thing, right?
Voices from the Free State is produced and directed by Francois Van Skalvik and Keenan Carlzer. Post-production is provided by the UFS Alumni Office and production support by Adrian Hall. This podcast is produced for the UFS International Alumni Program. For further information regarding this series or to propose other alumni guests, please email us at alumnipodcasts at ufs.ac.za. Any views and opinions expressed in this recording are those of the individual guests and should not be attributed to the University of the Free State. Music